0: Ah, you're back. Welcome again to the Gallery of Curiosities. I do apologize for the mess. That charlatan was by again, trying to sell me the knick-knacks that he puts together in his garage. He did give me a rather excellent price on this piece, although, full disclosure, I haven't a clue what it does. Let me describe it to you briefly. It looks like an egg-beater that had a go at the insides of a Vienna regulator. Although, hmm, it is excellent workmanship. What should I do with this? Hmm, perhaps I could display it as a torture device created by Santiago de Almido. He was the personal engineer to the great Tomás de Torquemada. No, 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 don't bother going and googling that name up. That engineer was lost to history, a victim of his own inventions. Tonight's story comes to us by way of Zach Bartlett. Mr. Bartlett has been called the New Englandist man in New Orleans, both as a compliment and insult. His work has been published by Mad Scientist Journal and Wildside Press. In addition, he's a regular contributor to the reading series Esoterotica. You can find more about him at ZachBIsTall at wordpress.com. The story will be read to you this evening by Miss Nonnie Constantine. Do enjoy.
1: Steam and Hot Air by Zach Bartlett. A pneumatic chronacurate reminder siren mounted on our front porch let out two harsh trills in rapid succession, signaling lunchtime. We wondered how it managed to keep time so regularly. Most of the clock's inner workings seemed to have been arranged on the exterior of the machine, so we often mused that all it could have on the inside was white paint and a small pile of numbers. Our rooster, Jubal, didn't find it nearly as interesting, having been made redundant by the siren single morning report, and had just taken to skulking around all day like a beaked house cat. Our lunch that day consisted of rather soggy sandwiches due to a poorly placed exhaust valve on the professor's reciprocating steam-powered bread slicer and sandwich arranger. My sister and I had thought it was a fun change at first and had made a little game of trying to eat them before they fell apart in your hands. But its novelty had begun to wear thin, and my father was particularly on edge that afternoon. I'm not sure if it was just the wet bread that set him off, or if it was the culmination of several troubles we'd had since the professor moved in. But when we were done eating, he made my job for the afternoon quite clear. Go and collect the month's rent from the professor, and make sure he doesn't try paying with some cockamamie machine this time. Don't nobody take those for trade in town, and we sure as heck can't eat them. Aside from the reminder siren and the sandwich arranger, previous month's rent had been paid with items ranging from a compact coffee pressure percolator, which transformed coffee beans and water into noise and vile brown foam, to a hydrocombustion mechanical boot putter, which the professor had described as being like a cotton gin only backwards and for your feet. My father had expressly forbidden us from trying to use the boot putter as directed, and after my sister managed to launch a boiled egg through our screen door while toying with its mechanisms, he decided we shouldn't touch it at all. I pulled on my own boots and took a mule named Shelley from the stable. And began to ride her along the series of pipes and hoses that trailed back from our fields back to a large tank next to the spare barn the professor was ranting. Even though his barn was a good distance from our house, it would have been easy enough to find even if there weren't pipes leading back to it due to the frequent plumes of smoke it emitted. Fortunately, today, they were coming from the chimney. The pipes leading to his barn were part of his own down payment when he took up residence. A syncopated emission, depressurized, cooled steam distribution array. He'd been looking for a test form to properly implement. I didn't know how cooled steam was different from water, or how a syncopated thing was different from a normal irrigation system, but I'd heard him assure many potential customers that his versions were better. I didn't doubt him, accepting youth that I was, but the only difference I could really see was that his versions always had more gears and springs and such on the outside. When I arrived at the professor's barn, he was already out front, making some sort of adjustment to his own reminder siren. Once he noticed me, he stopped and gave me an enthusiastic wave in my direction. He was wearing a shabby overcoat and a pair of brass goggles with dark, thick-looking lenses. The bottom half of a smile was visible beneath his formidable mustache, which wouldn't have looked out of place on a face twice as wide as his own. "'Thomas, my boy!' he bellowed, though I wasn't more than twenty feet away. "'What's the good word this brisk, energizing afternoon?' "'Rent,' I said, not yet sharp enough to understand such turns of phrase. The professor seemed delighted by my youthful bluntness. "'Getting right to business. No fiddling around. That's an admirable quality in a man.' He made his way over to me with his usual stride, which always gave me the impression he was practicing to lead some odd parade. "'Come over to the workshop and hitch the horse out front,' he said, patting Shelley on a haunch. "'You're not going to believe the marvelous machination I just devised. How'd you like to be the first to test it out for me?' "'I was swept up by his enthusiasm and followed him over to the barn door, "'dismounting and leading Shelley by the reins. "'The professor entered the barn, then scuttled out, "'carrying a large object bundled up in a tarp with both arms. "'He brought it over to Shelley and, "'draping both it and the tarp over her, "'proceeded to fidget about with whatever he was hiding. "'Uh, this uh, wouldn't be one of your old man's favorite animals, would she?' "'came out from beneath the cloth.' I didn't have time to dwell on the question's implications before he emerged, pulling the tarp off and making an exaggerated gesture towards Shelley, accompanied by a proud... Ta-da! Shelley appeared to be wearing a sort of expanded mechanical saddle which, like many of the professor's inventions, had a series of copper pipes and large gears scattered about his exterior. What is it, you say? began the professor, straightening his posture and raising a finger in the air. "'This, my boy, is the first prototype of my revolutionary equine-enhancing traversable steam saddle!' There was always something in the way he said his inventions' names, like he was pronouncing the capital letters. I'd seen him in town when he was barking for his inventions before, so I knew what to say in order to advance the routine. "'But what does it do?' I even raised my arms out to either side in emphasis. What indeed, my boy, what indeed. His mustache curved from the grin that spread beneath it as he swept around Shelley to a canister on her left side, then twisted a large valve attached to it. The steam saddle began to make a rattling noise, which turned into a continuous low hum as the gears on the side began to turn. Small puffs of steam began to emit from a pipe above Shelley's withers. After several successful puffs, the professor gave another, Ta-da! So, what does it do? I said. Why, it does what it's doing right now! For everything that could have been said about the steam saddle, it certainly did do what it was then doing. The gears on its side were turning at a steady rate as steam chugged through the series of pipes curling around the harness and out the small chimney on top. "'Does it make her go faster or something?' I said. "'The professor put his hands on his hips and bit his bottom lip. "'Well, no,' he said, with a notable droop of his mustache. "'It's uh, rather heavy, and the poor girl will probably be all the slower for it.' "'He patted the seat of Shelley's saddle firmly. "'However, before the steam saddle... Your horse didn't have a series of working gears on its side, eh? I had to agree at the time. I did find it to be pretty neat, though not enough to make me forget my father's message. You aren't going to pay the month's rent on the barn with that, are you? Dad said we just can't take inventions anymore. This news perked his mustache back up. Oh, you're not, my boy! The steam saddle is just a gift from me to you, the new, most stylish family in Albano County. I'll be paying my rent in cash this month, and in many more to come. He leaned close and lowered his voice, even though the only one around to overhear him was Shelly, and she seemed more concerned with the noise coming from her back. Have you got time to see the big project I've been working on? The size of the object beneath the drop cloth in the professor's workshop initially caused me to worry that he'd made some kind of enormous buffalo-sized steam saddle. It wasn't moving, but there was a slowly expanding wet patch near the top, which I knew meant it had at least one chimney. All I could do was sit there and wonder about it as the professor tinkered with the combustion-driven theatricated cloth razor a device he created solely for the unveiling of such grand inventions as the objects still beneath the cloth. After I'd imagined several larger animals that could have potentially been saddled beneath that cloth, the professor returned, dabbing his forehead with a handkerchief. "'Well, uh, this evening I'll start designing a machine to repair the theatricated cloth razor,' he said. He folded his handkerchief, raised his goggles, and rolled up his sleeves.' For now, we'll just have to do this the uncivilized way. He gave one of the corners a spirited tug with both hands, uncovering the invention and bringing the cloth down over himself in mid-tada. His invention was shaped sort of like a huge snail made out of iron and copper, but instead of antennas, it had a series of grinding mechanical bits, and there were three treaded wheels on either side. As expected. The thing was studded with a variety of pipes, gauges, and superfluous cog sprocket setups. By the time I'd taken it all in, the professor had worked his way out from under the drop cloth and was standing with his nose at a proud angle, mustache straight as a new broom. This, Timmy, is my state of the art Coltomaton. I knew it had to be important. Its name was shorter than his other inventions. He somehow produced a wooden dowel from inside his coat and gestured towards the coltamaton's front. This auger array here can bore through a rock nearly as fast as two men, and it doesn't have to stop for lunch breaks. Then he swept the dowel along its bottom edge. The sifting chute beneath the machine will sort through the rubble produced, pick out only the coal, and carry it to the internal furnace contained within the rear to further fuel it. He thwapped the dial for emphasis against a couple of turning gears on the back of the machine, which snatched it out of his hands, snapping it into several pieces. The professor continued unfazed, clasping his hands before him. Steam power creating its own steam power. That's progress, my boy. Efficiency. We as a species won't have to work for energy. Energy will work for us. I was as impressed as a kid who didn't much understand the ways the world could have been, and the professor seemed to be in roughly the same mindset. But before I had the chance to ask any sort of follow-up question, the barn doors were thrust inward by a near deafening explosion from outside. The force of their impact against the interior wall set all the engineering implements they held shaking and jangling and also unjimmed whatever was wrong with the theatricated cloth razor, causing it to swiftly reel in the ropes attached to the cloth which the professor was then standing on. The rebels are up to there! Was all the time he had to blurt out before the bunching cloth engulfed him and pulled him up to the ceiling. Startled by the enormous sound, I wrapped my arms around the sides of my head in an attempt to lessen the sudden ache in my ears. When I gathered my wits about me, I realized the barn, whose interior was covered with shaken metal objects, might not have been the safest place to be. I ran towards the only exit I could see, the open front doors, and away from the dangling metal objects. Outside! Shelly and the steam saddle were gone, along with most of the posts she'd been hitched to, replaced by an enormous bare patch in a larger area of now flattened grass next to the barn. I stopped at the edge of the patch out of curious precaution and collapsed to a sitting position, holding my aching head while trying to make sense of the scene. No sheared metal, no grizzle, just a large circle, slightly indented, swept clean of grass and topsoil. It appeared that the steam saddle had made Shelly go quite fast after all. Just not horizontally. There was a shout from inside the barn. I turned my head in time to see the professor charge out of the open doors, carrying a blunderbuss with a large canister welded to its underside. He lowered his goggles and affixed an additional lens etched with the crosshair, over one eye. A thin stream of water was trickling out the gun's barrel. "'Get back inside, boy! There might be more of them inbound!' "'He shouted. "'He huffed the gun to his shoulder and looked around, as did I. "'There was nothing around I would have described as inbound, "'though I could make out a father-shaped figure "'on my house's back porch in the distance. "'Were my ears not ringing, "'I imagine I would have been able to faintly hear some words "'he'd prefer I didn't.' "'The professor set the blunderbuss's wider end down "'and leaned an elbow on the stock. "'He appeared to be inspecting the scene.' He tilted his head skywards, then looked back to the cleared circle and rested his chin in his palm. His expression dampened like the ground beneath his leaking steam gun. "'Now, Tommy,' he said, after a moment's contemplation, "'She wasn't one of your father's favorite animals again?' Two days later, I walked back to the barn to see the professor off. He'd loaded a bunch of his spare parts and engineering implements into a wagon he'd tied to the back of his Coltomaton, to which he'd jury-rigged a non-steam saddle. When I arrived, he was adjusting some levers in front of the saddle, which were fixed atop the Coltomaton's head. He saw me, but didn't wave. Just about ready to set out, Tony, he said. He shifted his legs over the side of the Coltomaton nearest me and slid down. He patted the thing's side tenderly upon landing. "'Adaptation is the hallmark of a vigorous organism, "'and as such I adapt my inventions as needs arise. "'Observe!' He motioned to the Coltomaton's wheels, "'to which he'd added large metal treads. "'What do those do?' I said. "'They'll allow me to better traverse any terrain I come across "'in my unceremonious exodus.' I'm sorry about Dad getting all heated at you like he did. The professor made a brushing-off motion with his hand. The fault lies not with him, but with my overzealous lack of foresight. That's the last animal I'll burst without its owner's consent. Mark my words. He went over to the cart and began to tie his tarp over top it. His manner through all this was subdued compared to his usual persona. He moved with a heavy sort of tiredness. His mustache looked as though it had somehow deflated overnight. I had the distinct feeling that it was my place to say something, perhaps to buck up his spirits. I suppose any adolescent boy can't be expected to be too good with words, but I was at a complete loss. At least you know how to explode metal really well, occurred to me, but even I felt that would have been in poor taste. Where are you moving to? He finished tying down his tarp and walked back to me, placed a hand on my shoulder and gestured with the other towards the horizon. His mustache regained a degree of composure atop his calm smile. To my place in the sun, Tauni. Now, kneel down by the Coltomaton for a second. I did, and he used my shoulders as a step to get back into the automaton's saddle. He pulled one of the newly installed levers and the machine, well... It didn't roar to life, but it did grumble and shrug and begin puffing off towards the horizon at a slightly more than walking speed. The professor turned to the saddle and waved at me, and I waved back before I headed home, following the lines of the syncopated emission depressurized cooled steam distribution array, which he'd decided to leave as a partial repayment to my father. Further payment, he said, would arrive shortly after we saw his name in the papers. When I got to the porch, I looked back. The professor was still a good ways from the horizon, though I could only really tell the moving shape in the distance was him due to the long cloud of dissipating steam the Coltomaton had left in its wake. Then, a very large burst of steam emerged from the distant thing. Accompanied a second later by a low popping sound, and it stopped moving.
0: Noni is an expatriate Californian who has desperately tried to lose the country drawl she picked up whilst living on the East Coast. This story also appears in the summer 2016 issue of Mad Scientist Journal. Before we close for this evening, there is a little bit of business that I need to attend to first. Scott Janssen, I know what you did. Thank you for being a patron of the gallery. That's all this time. Do visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. This is Zach Bartlett. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. So don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. Like us on Facebook and Twitter, give us some reviews on iTunes, and if you're feeling generous, consider making a donation so we can buy more stories. Our authors deserve a better rate. Our theme song is Ashes, Ashes by string punk band Deus Ex Vapore Machina. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com.